Hi there, producer Alex here. If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely familiar with the fact that no field of medicine is more engaged in developing clinical AI than radiology. The nature of the field lends itself to intervention by machine learning techniques. Radiologists often sift through hundreds of images a day, searching out signs of illness and trauma. Given that image recognition is a bread-and-butter use of machine learning, it's only natural for radiologists to seek technological solutions to enhance their clinical capabilities. Zoom out for a minute and think about those images, the images radiologists stare at all day. Where do they come from? For the most part, when we speak of medical imaging, we're speaking broadly of x-rays, CTs, and MRIs. Let me walk you briefly through the fascinating science underpinning one of these modalities, MRIs. MRI stands for Magnetic Resonance Imaging. Millions are performed each year. If you haven't had one yourself, you know somebody who has. In contrast to x-rays or CT scans, MRI scanners emit no ionizing radiation. Instead, they generate a magnetic field that realigns the protons in your body. These excited atoms give off radio frequency signals that are measured by the scanner and from which it is possible to determine, in a roundabout kind of way, the relative arrangement of the atoms in one's body and from which an internal map of sorts can be generated. MRIs are ideally used in examining the body's soft tissues, in particular the central nervous system. They can be used for everything from diagnosing multiple sclerosis to assessing traumatic brain injuries or pinpointing the exact location of a stroke in the brain. This is a highly simplified description of how MRIs work. In the upcoming episode with neuroradiologist and machine learning technologist Yvonne Lui, you'll hear an in-depth discussion of some finer points regarding MRIs and other imaging modalities. Hopefully you don't require an MRI for anything serious soon. But if you do, try occupying your time during the lengthy scan, pondering the fact that you are surrounded by a giant magnet that is quite literally reshuffling the atoms inside of your body. Hello, and welcome to the Medicine and Machine Learning Podcast. I'm your host, David Wu, and in today's podcast, I interview Dr. Yvonne Louis, who is the Associate Chair for AI of the Radiology Department at NYU Langone Health. We talk about our research and focus on the FAST MRI project, a collaboration between the Facebook AI Research Group and NYU Langone Health. Today I learned that collaborations like this between academia and private companies are actually quite common and usually quite fruitful as well. I hope you enjoy the show. So hello everyone. Uh, welcome to the Medicine and Machine Learning Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Yvonne Louis. She is the current Associate Chair for AI at, of uh, the Radiology Department at NYU Langone. So uh, Dr. Louis, hello and welcome to our podcast. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about your path and how you came to the intersection of medicine and machine learning. Thanks, David. It's a real pleasure to, uh, to join you on the podcast. That's interesting. You know, I think when I think about my own path, it's, uh, it seems to make sense when I look back, but at the time I was, you know, just following different mentors who I met along the way and different interests that I had. And so somehow it got pieced together in a way that sounds sensible now, but you know, I wanna say it's a little bit fortuitous. So I started in medical school uh, and worked in an electrophysiology lab, um, doing literally patch clamping of single cell channel openings and that kind of thing. Which I love in medical school. Yeah. Wow. Um, So voltage gated. That takes a lot of time, right? Well, I um, didn't. 
I mean, I was like a summer intern and there were postdocs in the lab who mm. were helping me. And um, there was a time where in the cell culture, I managed to contaminate like my little petri dish or whatever. And so then everyone is horrified because of course you're sharing the incubator with, uh, you know, I want to say real scientists. Um, <laughs> so they were like, oh my God, you know, I was, so that was not good. But, um, but I was very interested in uh, electrophysiology and I had a really brilliant um, teacher in like first year med school, I guess, who taught neurophysiology, you know, action potentials and all of that. So, uh, and as an undergraduate, I was a physics major. So, um, so fast forward to, to choosing a specialty, decided to go into radiology, love the diagnosis part, the um, figuring out little problems, love the technology piece, the fact that it's at the cutting edge um, of medicine and, you know, exciting, exciting new advances. Um, and then I decided to go into neuroradiology because I guess I was always interested in how the brain works and why we are who we are. Um, and so my physics background helped also because it was, I guess, in terms of relating to how an image is made and some of that um, training and working with my collaborators, it helped a lot just being able to speak their language and understand um, the basics. So somehow it sort of made sense. And the electrophysiology, funnily enough, kind of came back as well as being of interest because I, um, I more recently have been interested in multinuclear MRI. And so looking at not just hydrogen uh, signal, but sodium signal and other, uh, other atomic uh, signatures. And so I started reading up again on sodium channel blockers and voltage-gated oh, wow. sodium channels and, and all of that. Yeah. Full so it was kind of fun. So I guess t today, uh, you know, I guess what's like the state of your research now? You know, uh, the state of research now is well. You mentioned I'm uh, the associate chair for machine learning, right? For artificial intelligence, and machine learning is a a, a big thing in radiology. I think for two reasons, because of advances in computer vision, right, that are maybe applicable, maybe directly applicable to medical imaging. And I think the fact that radiology has traditionally been a field that's at the bleeding edge of technology and innovation. So, um, so how did I get into that? I'm a neuroradiologist. I'm a translational researcher. My work is in concussion and um, and advanced MRI. And you know, I think we started very naively, to be honest, with um, doing some multimodality um, analyses, and um, 
using basic machine learning, handcrafted features, classic kind of classic machine learning. And the other thing that I'm, uh, I guess I'm interested in is not just this like classification problem. Oh, is it injury or not? But but this interpretable part of machine learning, which mm, I know is a mm -hmm. whole field, right? Like DARPA yeah. is funding XAI or something, explainable AI. But I think um, in medicine, for me, part of the interest in machine learning is delving into what can it tell us more about the human condition, about the human brain, how it works in normal conditions and in pathologic conditions. And so we, again, did some very naive work with feature selection, trying to, you know, using a classifier, but it was less important that you know, we were classifying, but I was more interested in, well, what are the features that we're selecting? Which of these, you know, so many different diffusion measurements um, and metrics that can be, um, that can be calculated, which ones are really most important and what does that tell us about injury? So that's kind of how it started. Um, and then I happened to Just curious, start... Sorry, when you say features, do you mean like radiomic features or? Well, no, I guess any kind of handcrafted features that you might enter into a classic machine learning classifier, like uh, if you're using diffusion MRI, you might look at, you know, fractional anisotropy, mean diffusivity, mean kurtosis, axial kurtosis, and it adds up after a while, right? So now mm -hmm. we started out with probably two measurements. There was only mean diffusivity that people ever looked at. Then when we had diffusion tensor imaging, which is like makes those tractography images that are on the, I don't know, cover of glossy magazines all the time <laughs> with all the tracks that go through the white matter like colorful tracks mm -hmm. um you know once they developed that it was like oh now we can detect directional diffusion so then there were a few metrics that quantify the directional diffusion then there were metrics that quantify the kind of microstructural complexity then there are model you know so it's all great but then which of these are even interesting and important and most recently we've been looking at um you know modeling diffusion mri and looking at an intra intra axonal compartment and an extra axonal compartment so then once you do that if you can uh identify which of these metrics is important you suddenly get a sense of whether the injury is could be affecting the axon itself or the extracellular space right so it's things like that that have driven my own at least my research in concussion and multimodal machine learning um investigations and then there you know we we did branch out into a whole bunch of other areas um including image reconstruction, which I know you were interested in hearing about. Um, yeah, maybe should we just jump into that? I'm curious, uh, very curious about the FAST MRI partnership that uh, NYU Langone has with Facebook. 
Um, yeah, so that was an interesting <laughs> thing. Why Facebook? Um, I can't tell you from their perspective. I can tell you from our perspective that it's been a fantastic collaboration and um, because we have complementary strengths and um, and they they kind of I don't know it was a true scientific collaboration you know and from their perspective I guess I wasn't going to speak for them but I I'm going to now <laughs> um, uh, from their perspective I think they have this uh, group called Facebook AI Research which is um, shortened to Fair and it's I, I, I thought that acronym was quite quite funny or I was just uh, like yeah. that was a good <laughs> Facebook That's AI Research Fair. <laughs> Um, but it's led by a guy named Jan LeCun, who I'm sure you've heard of. Oh, and yeah. wow. he also has a, um, an appointment at NYU uh, at, in computer science. So he, um, so I think their interest is in finding novel applications for machine learning and not necessarily this group is a little bit autonomous as i understand it and um and just looking for interesting impactful projects so we pitched something to them i don't i forget how or who was the initial connection but um they were super interested in this idea of image reconstruction so as you do research more questions kind of float up than uh, answers often, right? And so some of the things that actually my colleagues were working on in um, our research center was how do you reconstruct an image with um, less information, less and less and less information, because we're very stingy and MRI takes a while to do. If you've ever had an MRI of your knee or back or something, it's at least a 30 minute process, right? And so for many reasons, uh, motion, patient comfort, finances, it would be advantageous to shorten that to, you know, like an x-ray takes a second to take, for example, right? And even a CAT scan is super fast now, like 30 seconds. So uh, why are we still in this regime where it takes an hour to scan your spine? <laughs> um, uh, so, so the idea, and that's a whole field of study, which to be honest, Dan Sodickson is our uh, vice chair of research in our department, and he, his main area of research has been in um, accelerating image acquisition for MRI, because the process is actually quite complicated and cumbersome and lengthy. So, um, so then, you know, can you use deep learning to aid in image reconstruction so that we can acquire less and less uh, data to begin with and mm -hmm. still make a diagnostic image or a pretty picture or whatever, you know? Um, so that's the fast MRI project in a nutshell. And uh, it was great working with, um, the folks at Facebook AI Research. Um, we've, there are a number of kind of sub projects to that project now, but it's one of the most impact, so far, 
it's been one of the most impactful areas to affect um, clinical practice because all of the major vendors are coming out with their version, their proprietary versions of some kind of deep learning based image reconstruction that cuts the time in, you know, half or or third or even more in some cases, depending on the application. And uh, and sometimes instead of trading in for time, people are increasing the, you know, image quality. And that is real. That's like uh, basically being rolled out by all of many major vendors. There's a big conference that happens for our field uh, called the Radiologic Society of North America annual meeting, which is slated to happen later this month. And, you know, all the big um, uh, scanning, you know, companies that make scanners like Siemens and Philips and um, GE, they're all coming out. They're all, you know, wanting to show off their their latest stuff. So it's exciting because it's actually hitting clinical practice. Wow. Just yeah. curious, in, uh, at NYU, do you guys use, you know, the algorithm that you and Facebook came up together or came up with together or someone else's? So we have a few different models and uh, clinically there is a trial going on right now. So it's still research, but it's a prospective um, study and uh, patients are being recruited to uh, to study the um, you know equivalency, if you will, of of the reconstruction versus the you know I'm sorry the deep learning reconstruction versus the standard, and I think actually they did do a um, there was one paper that already came out, but right now we're doing a multi center trial with actually different vendors too, so it's. Uh, it's very generalizable we hope do you mean like you're trying your algorithm on their hardware kind of thing or um i am not the lead on that uh on the multi-center trial mm -hmm. but i believe some version of yes our model that i mean so everything was open source that was another fun thing uh oh, wow. fun part of working with facebook um we open sourced they're just releasing it for free Yes, and we wow. also released a data set, not with them, obviously it's our data set release, um, as part of the FastMRI project though. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was that was fun and we released that to uh, wide availability. Obviously it's subject to a license and a data use agreement, but- uh, is, is that the 2020 FastMRI challenge? Or is that, that something different? facilitated the fast MRI challenges and we did two challenges. Um, one was for the knee uh, and one was for the brain. Um, so as part of that, before the challenge, we released uh, this, uh, you know, public available data set. Um, it's got raw data. So it's like the acquisition, the actual data that's acquired. And then um, um, in order to create a picture, which is what we can, sorry, which is what we are familiar with, it undergoes a mathematical transformation, right? And there's a uh, reconstruction process. So is this it like the stuff before the DICOM? Yes, 
and it's wow. called it's called what case space wow it's like data. raw raw data right wow. because you can imagine that um we we're looking inside the body right and so um we acquired these data in a funny way yeah. by turning on these you know strong magnets yeah. and turning them off and turning them on and turning them yeah. off and so all of that information then has to get reconstructed into an image and that process is um is something that people study and that's what we applied the deep learning to it's like like the the nether of data <laughs> you know like that primordial <laughs> primordial data <laughs> well it's very large data actually and so it's hard to work with is uh one drawback um uh, and it's hard to store and that kind of thing so it's actually so we released this data set it was uh, a nice i think contribution to the scientific community because there aren't a lot of um this kind of case-based raw data data sets out there that are available for people to experiment with and use and one of the goals was to kind of bring together the communities the machine learning computer science communities with the imaging science reconstruction physicist communities um, and obviously radiologists so this is a really cool collaboration you know i feel like I, I don't know. I never would have expected Facebook to be working on a fast MRI, you know, accelerating MRI times, which is, uh, I don't know, it just seems almost like orthogonal to what they normally do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think this uh, fair part of their organization works on many disparate sorts of problems mm -hmm. um, and they get to choose, actually. And so... Um, but it's it's been really fun. We have uh, another paper, hopefully, uh, in the works where we really tried to um, tried to understand what the boundaries of this kind of deep learning approach are. So we literally tried to accelerate absurd uh, absurdly or mm -hmm. understandable the original data that original data. You know, so one question is, oh, if we only acquire half the information, what does the picture look like? If we yeah. acquire a quarter of the information, what if we only acquire like an eighth of the information? So we literally did this with like one one hundredth of the information, mm -hmm. where the standard reconstruction looks like nothing. You can imagine, we only got one one hundredth. Like, what could uh -huh. you possibly, it looks completely like blurred out, no information. And yet the deep learning reconstruction you know, model reconstructs something. Oh, wow. So it's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, um, like, how do you validate or how do you know when you have enough? Well, that's a good question. Clinically, you clearly, I mean, the images are not, are not good at, when you start to cut down on the original data that much. And I think one of the questions is uh, that we're trying to explore are, you know, what are the boundaries? What are the uh, limitations? 
it mm -hmm. starts to introduce artifacts or um, or other you know problems into the images. Uh, what people call hallucinations, which is hallucinations. Yeah, they don't look That's like great. artifacts, but they kind of just make the, the the model makes up something, which is really bad, right? Because then Whoa. maybe I have trouble telling that it's not real. Whereas an artifact like um, a, a line through the through an image, I can recognize like, oh, that's an artifact. Just here's when it generates this, um, you know, kind of this like downsampled image, do you have to read it in the end or does it kind of generate it and then read it, reads it itself? If that makes sense. Oh, well, this is not for interpretation, at least not yet, but you could imagine in some futuristic world that you would have what some of my machine learning colleagues would call an end-to-end -end, um, yeah. you know machine where mm -hmm. you would go straight from data acquisition to spitting out some kind of you know answer mm -hmm. um so i don't think we're close right now um but I think this is of interest to people and, um, you know, probably people would be starting with specific questions too, right? Because it's a bit open-ended. Yeah. You just scan your whole body to say like, you know, I guess, is everything okay? Uh, ultimately, that would be interesting though. Because I've heard of papers out there that, um you know, they're able to predict, you know, is there brain tumor or not based off of downsampled images where they even like showed photos in the, like in the figures that like, I look at it, I'm like, what is this? You know, like the, the images are so almost distorted or, mm. you know, that like, I would not be able, or I, you know, granted, I'm not a radiologist, but um, I don't see anything. And, but then I, and I, and I, I don't know if like a, you know, a clinician or a radiologist would be able to see it either, but you know, their algorithm based off of these downsampled or, you know, altered images can predict it. I wonder if like, there's like a point where like, we can't see anything, but like, you know, maybe we could keep downsampling further and the machine, like, you know, an algorithm can still make that diagnosis. Well, it's a very interesting question. What information do you need, mm. right? Because we also acquire a ton of information that is maybe not useful to making a diagnosis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you can somehow choose or identify a priori what information you actually need to acquire in order to make that diagnosis and what do images need to look like do they need to look like what we are used to you know traditional images looking like probably not in some futuristic world again you know maybe they what we you know, there's a reimagining of what a, a MRI image looks like, even. Mm. Yeah, I like that because it, it almost makes me think of, um, you know, like when we're taught like the physical exam in medical school, um, you know, you're not going to do the full physical exam for every patient you see, you know, you kind of like adjust it based off what you're looking for, you know, like if someone's coming in for like possible appendicitis, you're not going to do like a full neuro exam on them, right? So. Right. I wonder, you know, you know, it'd be cool if we could apply that concept too to like radiology. To data acquisition. Data acquisition, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh, 
it's a new wide open field. Um, yeah, and I'm curious, uh, you know, like I think I, I normally like I think it's pretty rare or correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like academic and private partnership, like academic medical center with private company academic partnerships. Those are pretty rare, right? Well, I don't know, actually. I don't think they're as rare as you might think. Um, and they can be really powerful, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have industry collaborations with many uh, entities, I want to say, some big and some small. And um, I think they can be powerful because of shared goals, shared interests, and complementary expertise, mm. right? Um, um, so we don't, I mean, we do have uh, machine learning scientists in our department. We're trying to grow our nucleus of expertise. Um, but if we can, you know, obviously like Facebook, a, a tech company like that is, is um, has got a depth of experience in computer science. And then other, other, partnerships can facilitate uh, clinical implementation of research right we have a big partnership with siemens for example our department um, and they can actually realize some of the advances sometimes right i'm curious uh, how is that like partnership different from a traditional academic partnership what do you mean by traditional academic partnership? Because I feel like, you know, like in research collaboration, it's kind of like, all right, you know, we work on something together and then like we publish together. And I, I don't know, I'm curious, like when you work with a company, is it, is it different or is it similar? You know, is it? Um... It's surprisingly similar. You publish together. Um, there can sometimes be shared IP. So all of that has to be worked out beforehand with legal and mm. um you know um what is that called that office tech oh tech transfer yeah tech transfer mm. so all of that gets worked out in advance but if there are common goals then it's terrific i think and it's it's fun because um yeah of the things i mentioned also, I'm curious, um, like the funding, like who pays for it? You know, do, do you have to bring your own funding to the table or do, like does Facebook help cover the costs? Um, yeah. Um, I think it depends on the collaboration. Um, so, you know, we're very careful these days, at least in I am and in my department about industry funded research per se, right? Because you don't want to have the appearance of bias or, or whatever. Um, I want to say, luckily, I haven't had to deal with that as much because that is rife in the pharmaceutical mm. arena, right? Mm -hmm. Where somehow there's conflict of interest all the time for pushing drugs that may or may not have any impact. So we're a bit more insulated from that because if the thing doesn't work, you know, no company is going to want to implement it or try to 
sell it to somebody else, you know, they're just, it'll be sort of a failed project. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, these days there's a whole office of compliance and stuff that make it, you know, we just try to follow the, the um, best practices and, and the recommendations from the compliance office. So, yeah, I don't think somehow it's not as fraught, I guess, mm -hmm. for us, um, at least not this particular example compared with some of the phar pharmaceutical industry. Mm. Yeah, and I'm curious, uh, I know you're saying early about implementation, you know, if you implement it with Siemens and they start, I guess, monetizing this algorithm, like how do you kind of share it with, do you share like the profits with Facebook or? So I think, um, no, it, uh, no. So everything we did is open source. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. So I think that's why we just, again, do not want to, um, have any appearance of conflict of interest mm -hmm. or, or anything. So this is a scientific collaboration. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And also yeah. the goal was to further, to advance the field, mm. you know, and to not just work on it with Facebook AI research, but to facilitate other groups and other people who might be interested in this topic and mm -hmm. to get excitement going. And that could be among academic researchers. It could be among startups. It could be among um, the the you know, bigger players in industry. And I think that we succeeded, you yeah, know, because, yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so, uh, and that was why we wanted everything to be open source and they were totally on board with that. Mm. So it just worked out, I think. And in terms of like, generally speaking, industry and academic collaborations vary a lot, right? You just have to, work it out ahead of time. And I think it's just important to disclose um, uh, conflicts, potential conflicts of interest, if they might exist, or basically avoid them if you can mm -hmm. to begin with. But you know, sometimes there are interests, right? There is IP for sure. Um, sometimes that comes into play and or shared IP, um, or something that we end up licensing to companies I mean, that's, I think, the main model in a large academic place is usually if you if your scientist develops something new, you know, then your tech transfer office may try to license it to a company or something. Mm. Yeah, I guess uh, the reason why I'm so curious is I feel like to me, the layperson, you know, like Facebook, they're their image, I, I normally don't really think of like, oh, like medical discoveries, you know, and like, I guess, advancing medical knowledge is something under the realm of Facebook. But, you know, maybe this is a good, like, uh, image or good, I don't know, it's good PR, because like, you know, they're recently with them being in the news and them rebranding into meta, I feel like um, people are, I don't know, they're, they're kind of a little wary. But I of guess course, this is of course. cool to hear so that. Yeah. We were very wary also of uh, entering into this agreement. This was you know, started back pre-pandemic in 2019 or even before that. So 
Um, but yeah, like you said, especially some of these big tech companies, they're so big now that they're uh, that they're laden with potential controversy, right? Um, we were lucky in that the group, the subgroup that we were working with, um, is a bit like I said, divorced almost from the you know the main company, and in terms of um, they're very scientific. Actually, it's like the science scientific arm or i don't know little mm -hmm. area uh, within facebook and um and i think it was uh it was nice that it was something that i want to say this is probably partly why they have projects like ours to to generate goodwill and you know, try to make positive contributions because they are, like you said, there's so many potential controversies with big tech nowadays. So I think in part they support some of these projects because, you know, they would like to not always be in the news for something, you know, some breach of whatever protocol or privacy mm -hmm. or Maybe this uh, this episode will be you know the <laughs> part of the new wave of uh, positive news. For uh, <laughs> I was wondering, uh, in what other areas of your work um, do you use AI, and other like areas of research? Well, in research, I think those are the main my main areas. Um, mm -hmm. I've been helping with the image reconstruction piece um, using deep learning reconstruction, but I am not the scientist behind that. Um, you know, um, Kristen Hammernick and Florian Canole were some of the original scientists who tried such an approach. Um, and then, like I mentioned, we do have work in concussion, um, and there are a lot of different it branches out into many other areas, right, of image quality, trying to remove artifacts, whether you do that in the kind of raw space mm -hmm. um, or you try to do that post-reconstruction post as a sort of enhancement. People are working on those kinds of problems, being better able to estimate the I want to say the number that's supposed to go in each of these voxels or pixels parameter estimation using deep learning there's all kinds of like um rabbit holes to go mm. down but it's super fun yeah yeah that actually brings me to my next question um it's one of our closing questions for every guest i'm curious uh, what do you think is the future of ai and medicine uh, how will it look in 10 to 20 years the future of AI and medicine, I don't think it's going away. And I think it will take some time because in medicine, we're very careful, right? And uh, there's also a lot of history and a lot of, um, it's not so easy to make huge disruptive changes to medicine, but it will come. And uh, partly the reason why it will take time is because there are these other things like 
legal and compliance and ethics, right, that one has to consider. Um, but I think it, it's not going away. And I think it's exciting, actually. Uh, I think you can tell uh, that I'm uh, excited about the future. There are many areas where machine learning can make a difference, at least I mean, in medical imaging, but probably, you know, broadly in medicine at large, you are a student now, you probably see all kinds of inefficiencies or just really, um, I don't know, things that could be done better. I personally think that there are tasks that are easy for computers and, and either um, difficult for humans because uh, they're repetitive or um, just uh, time intensive, work intensive. Um, and then there are tasks that are probably much easier for humans, right? And again, it's like complementary thing. I don't see why you wouldn't tap the strengths of both to, to optimize patient care moving forward. Uh, I'm sorry to ask a cliche question, but, you know, as okay. a radiologist, I feel like I got to ask you this question because okay. our viewers are probably curious, but, um, you know, a lot of people worry that, oh, radiology is going to be automated away by AI and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Do you think, um, you know, for the field of radiology, is, is there a, an existential threat to it or is it, you know, is it okay or is it going to be, is it growing, you know? Or... You know, I, I like how you put it. I don't. I don't think there's an existential threat. I think that, um, who said that? Jeffrey Hinton, right, uh, said that, oh, we should stop training radiologists completely. And that was 10 years ago or something. Uh, I think, I'm not certain, uh, I've never met him, but, but I think he, I don't know if he totally agrees with that still to this day. And honestly, you are a medical student, and if you, you know, weren't totally committed yet, I would try to convince you that radiology is a great field. And mm -hmm. I think you can tell that it's so exciting and, you know, filled with possibilities. So give me the cell. Give me the quick cell. <laughs> I mean, I think I did in the in the the slow sell over the past uh, <laughs> this hour, whole interview, right? <laughs> this whole pan, yeah, this whole podcast. Um, so uh, yeah, I I think that people are also very narrow in what they think about when they think about medical imaging, radiology, and machine learning. Right? It's just like cancer, no cancer; tumor, no tumor; abnormal, normal. You know boom, tell me. <laughs> and the, there's so many different applications, many of which we, you know, we talked about that um, I think would be useful and great. And um, I, I think I'm looking forward to it. Mm. Uh, I'm adding this question just because I'm curious, but I'm curious, like, what is a typical week like for you? You know, like, how do you balance your time between like clinic or like uh, research duties or, you know, maybe administrative stuff? Yeah, I am fortunate. I, uh, I wear many hats, but it keeps things interesting again. 
Uh, so I am probably, I like to say I'm like a third, a third, a third clinical research and administrative effort. Um, I don't know if it's exactly that, but it kind of works out to be about that. I love doing clinical work and I, that's what I was doing today. Um, reading out with the residents and uh, looking at cases, it drives your thinking about research, about what are interesting questions, what are useful applications. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm sure you will find out too, if you do enough things, people start asking you to do administrative things <laughs> to go along with it. It's sort of a necessary piece and, and also, I, um, you can impact, you know, for me, I'm trying to grow a, an AI program. So it's oh, a lot cool. of administrative, um, my husband calls it ad minutia, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, a lot of details and things, but the, the positive is that you get to grow a program, right? You get to make a bigger impact than um, one, paper one research project or one you know scan that you read obviously one scan that you read makes a big impact on somebody mm. so can you tell us briefly about this program that you're growing well um it's uh hopefully just the beginning but radiology departments don't have many most don't have a position like mine right um yet and we just discussed this is gonna be a game changer for our field so um actually i'm fortunate that my chair uh michael recht is very forward thinking and he um wants to build an ai program so uh, is it specifically uh, for radiologists or kind of like an interdisciplinary thing this is within the department of radiology here okay and so a lot of it is research right now um and these collaborations these research collaborations that we're working on um thinking about together with our research leadership what are some strategic initiatives in ai in research in radiology that we want to pursue um recruiting the right people we you know started out with pretty much zero expertise in computer science right or maybe not zero i shouldn't say that but uh um but we're one thing we found with imaging science um was that you can collaborate with let's say physicists right at the in the physics department but somehow it's advances are really facilitated when the radiology department basically recruited our own physicists. So we have a whole bunch of researchers who are PhDs and with varying background, um, but many come from a physics background. And, um, and that really helps to, again, it's the complementary expertise, the collaboration aspect, right, between radiologists and imaging scientists, imaging physicists. Um, and so, so yeah, that um, we're trying to do that now with computer scientists and machine learning scientists. So yeah, it's fun. And mm. then and then there's a whole world of deployment and 
which we don't have time to <laughs> talk about yeah. the ins and outs of that. Oh, like that's clinical a whole, deployment. Yeah, that's a whole other challenge. And, and then education. What about people like yourself? Uh. How are we going to educate our residents? And not only that, we do have a, um, a small formal um, curriculum that we've added to the residency curriculum for machine learning introduction. But what about our faculty? You know, if we think this is so important in the next five to 10 years, our faculty mostly don't know much, right, at the current time. So, so um, it's not all research. Um, there's an educational component and hopefully soon a, a more robust clinical deployment implementation piece. Mm. Uh, another one of our closing questions is, uh, what advice would you give to yourself, uh, let's say when you were a med student, early in your career? Or like, what advice would you, yeah, not, what, not only to yourself, but also to like other people early in their career? That's a, I think, I, I guess I would just encourage and not be discouraged. Uh, I think research is challenging, but so interesting, so fun, so necessary, um, you know, actually makes a difference. And, but in general, doesn't happen overnight, right? Um, I mean, maybe there's some brilliant um, Nobel laureates that have this like moment of genius, especially in this day and age, often takes a lot of collaboration and takes time for me to learn things, right? I'm still learning stuff. I um, am very open to being ignorant. <laughs> um, so I guess I would just not be discouraged that I don't know that I knew in the beginning, you know, you start out, uh, at least I did, I started out on small projects that you wondered sometimes if they would have Im real impact, right? I mean, you tried to write a paper sounding like, well, I think this is impactful because, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is this, how important is this? Mm, I'm not <laughs> really sure, right? <laughs> um, but I guess I wouldn't be discouraged because a little, for me, I needed to do those things to get experience and um and gain knowledge ab about the process the scientific process about the field you know just learning the literature and then i don't know somehow you turn around and you realize that you know you work on important problems and you are you know, publishing groundbreaking results, which is humbling, you know. Mm. Um, and I was wondering, if, is there any closing remarks that you would like to make for our listeners? No, it's been a pleasure, David. Um, this is this is great. And congratulations to you on a on a great podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Louie. <laughs>